to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in about verse 12. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you about not too long after I bought my first house, there was a, somebody came and rang the doorbell and they were standing there on my front porch with a Kirby vacuum cleaner. And I thought, oh boy, we're going to do this. I have time to kill. So I invited them in and they began explaining all about how this vacuum cleaner was amazing and I needed it in my life. And, and uh, then he got out a box full of dirt and he dumped that dirt on my carpet and then started cleaning that up. And it, it wasn't until he went and found a stain on my carpet that I hadn't been able to, to, to get up and he started shampooing and he cleaned that stain. He showed what that thing could do for me and I was impressed and I thought, wow, that's really a pretty nice vacuum cleaner. I might, I might pay some money for this. I was kind of interested at that point once I saw what it could do for me. Now, I wasn't as interested in it as, as he was. He thought it was worth more than I did, but I digress. Mark begins his book by talking about the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The word gospel means good news. <coughs> and when I think about the gospel, it's all about Jesus Christ. It's about his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. That's what we just remembered. But before we understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is indeed good news, we need to understand what he does for us. And that's what the book of Colossians is all about. It shows Christ as the glorious head of the church. Its companion book, Ephesians, shows the church as the glorious bride and body of Christ. But I want to consider this morning three things about Jesus Christ that are significant and what He does for us. And so beginning there in verse 12, we understand first that Jesus Christ is our mediator. And so he prepares us for heaven. Paul says we ought to be giving thanks to the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Think about that. that he has made us fitting. He has made us worthy to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints, that which rightfully belongs to the saints, to the holy ones of God. That's who we are, by the way, verse 2, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ Jesus, which are at Colossae. We're saints. If you're in the body, you are a saint. Do you think of yourself in those terms? We're only able to think of ourselves in those terms because of Jesus Christ. He's made us fitting to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and that in light. Think about what light does. Light reveals things, doesn't it? You know, I always question a restaurant when you go in and they have you eaten in the dark. I'm like, what, what is it they don't want you to see? 
I'm going to turn the light on and see what's going on in here. What about you? When you stand in the light of the glory of God, and you stand in the light of the truth of His Word, and you look into that perfect law of liberty, what does it reveal? I know what it reveals about me, and it ain't good. But Jesus Christ has made us worthy to be numbered among the saints to inherit what is theirs and that in light. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's verse 14, verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And so that darkness, right, he's brought us into the light. That thing, that darkness that had a hold of us, that thing that we don't want nobody else to know about. He's broken the power of that. And notice this, has translated us into the kingdom, past tense. The kingdom of God is not something that we're praying for to be yet future come. It's here. Mark chapter 9 and verse 1, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, there are some of you standing here which shall not taste of death, till you have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Either the kingdom came 2,000 years ago, or somewhere there are some very old folks running around. The kingdom's here. It's the church. What a blessing that we can be part of the kingdom of God. The power of darkness that once hold us has been broken. That's redemption. A price must be paid. A power must be broken. Something once possessed is lost. In Christ, he says, we have redemption through his blood. The word redeem quite literally means to, to buy back, right? You know, when you've got that manufacturer's coupon... The manufacturer buys that back from you by giving you that, that discount. Our Lord bought us back with His own blood. In Acts chapter 20, Paul talks about the church of God which he has purchased with His own blood. There's that kingdom again. It's valuable. It's important. Jesus values the church. Jesus values me. He values you. He bought us back with His own blood. Don't let anybody tell you you're worthless. Don't let anybody tell you you're not worthy. Jesus thought you were. That's what He does for us. He's our mediator. He reunites us with God. And he prepares us for heaven. Heaven's a prepared place for a prepared people. Jesus is how we get prepared. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That word forgiveness, quite literally, it carries the idea of release. Those things that you've done, they're washed away in the blood of Christ. 
God lets go of them. You think about a God who is omniscient, a God who knows everything. When you come up out of those waters of baptism, having called upon the name of the Lord and washed away your sins as Saul did, our God who knows everything forgets your sins. That's pretty special. We need to forget them too, by the way. We need to let them go. Because He prepares us for heaven. Verse 15, He is the very image of the living God. That word image is is the Greek word icon. Icon. I I remember I I had a friend somewhere who dug up an old three and a half inch floppy disk somewhere and his kids saw it and said, oh cool, you made a 3D image of a save icon. Right, but that's what an icon is. It's it's something that represents a thing. It, it, It shows you what that thing is like. Jesus is the icon of God. You want to know what God is like? Learn what Jesus is like. No wonder there's four books in the Bible that tell us all about him. And yet, inasmuch as he is the very image of God, Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that in bringing many sons into glory, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren in all things. And he's not ashamed to call us brethren. He's the image of God, and yet he came to be like me and like you. And the firstborn of every creature. Now here's the thing. That word firstborn and the Jehovah's Witnesses with their New World Translation start doing some funny stuff in this chapter. And they'll say, well see there, Jesus is the firstborn of of every creature. God made him first. He was the first one created and he made all the other stuff. The firstborn, understand, can apply to birth order. It can also apply to a position. You know, the firstborn received the double portion of the inheritance. The firstborn received the birthright and the blessing. You think about Jacob and Esau. Jacob received the blessing of the firstborn. With Jacob's children, that double portion, it didn't go to his firstborn. Nope, not Reuben. Reuben did some things that made his father pretty upset. No, the double portion went to Joseph, to the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. The blessing didn't go to Ruth, didn't go to Simeon and Levi either. They kind of made things hard on their father too. No, it went to the fourth in line, to Judah. And so Jacob says in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. That is he to whom it rightly belongs. That's Jesus. And so Jesus is the firstborn, not because he was the first one created, but because he has that right, that position of of the blessing and the double portion and the inheritance. It's his. And he prepares us for heaven because he is our mediator. Number two, 
verses 15 through 17. Jesus Christ is our maker. <laughs> He's our maker, so he prepares us for here. Now that's an interesting thought. For by him were all things created. Whether things in heaven or things in earth, whether the invisible or visible, whether principalities or powers or dominions, all things were created by him and for him. Think about that for a minute. John said, John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the word, right? And the word was with God and the word was God. All things were created by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. The word, right? You go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image. Who's us? Well, the word's involved in that. How did God make things? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. You see, the word was there. He was involved. He was the one making Things. It was all made by him, and it was made for him. You think about that for a minute. When John said he came into his own, and his own received him not, everything that exists was made for his good pleasure. And everything that exists does what it was designed to do. How tall does a tree grow? As tall as it can. Everything in creation praises God and His glory. David says, The firmament shows the handiwork of God. Night unto night utters knowledge, day unto day. It reveals His glory, it praises Him. Everything He created except for one thing, us. We're the exception. We're the one that doesn't do what we were created to do. We're the one who doesn't praise Him. He is before all things. That is, He is above it in authority. He's above it in power. He's above it in prestige. And by Him all things consist. Quite literally there, it's in Him all things hold together. When we think about who our God is, we think about our God is omnipresent. He's so big that he's everywhere all the time. Where can I go to hide from the presence of God? There's nowhere. And we kind of have that backwards. It's not that God's so big that he's everywhere all, all the time. It's that he's so big that everywhere is in him. And here Paul says, in him, in Christ, all things hold together. This sturdy little wooden thing, it exists for one reason, one reason alone. Christ allows it to do so. Were it not for him, it would cease to exist. In him, it holds together. Think about that for just a minute. He created us. 
by the very word of his power and by that same word, all these things are reserved until destruction at the day of judgment. And we have everything that we need for this world. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, that through the knowledge of him who's called us to glory and virtue are given unto us all things that pertain to life, and godliness. Everything we need to know to be ready for this world, it's in the Bible. Everything we need to know for godliness, to be like God, it's in the Bible. Funny thing, right? That was the promise of Satan at the very beginning. Oh, God knows in the day that you eat of that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be like God. That was Satan's shtick from the beginning. You can be like God. How ironic is that? That's been God's promise from the beginning. Who delivers? Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, tells us what to do, tells us what we're doing wrong, tells us how to fix what we're doing wrong, tells us how to keep doing right. So that... The man of God may be what? Complete. What does it mean to be complete? If something's complete, what does it lack? Nothing. So the man of God may be complete. Kind of, sort of, furnished unto most good works. No, that ain't what he said, is it? Thoroughly furnished unto every good work. As our creator, he's prepared us for life here. He's given us everything that we need. If you think about what that means, if in the word of God we have everything that we need for every good work, if there's something that you're thinking about, setting about to do, and the Bible doesn't give you what you need to do it, guess what? It must not be a good work. Because if it was a good work, the scriptures would have what you needed. Number three. Not only as our mediator does he prepare us for heaven. As our maker, he prepares us for here. As our master, he prepares us for holiness. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. Notice this, the body is the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, 4, Ephesians 4, 4. <laughs> There's one body. And we understand this practically speaking, right? You know, if you, if you see somebody walking around with one body and two heads, you put them in a sideshow on the circus. See somebody with one head and, and two bodies? Something ain't right. They're not going to live very long, generally speaking. Our Lord has one head and one body. The body is the church. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in all things he might have the preeminence. Three qualifications that's given there. Number one, he is the beginning. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's before all things, and all things were created by him and for him. 
He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. My daddy used to say, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of it. <laughs> That's kind of the idea here. He's the beginning. He's the one who started it all. So yes, he has authority. The firstborn from the dead. It's interesting. In the scriptures you read of other people raised from the dead. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. The widow of Nain, her son, was raised from the dead. Elijah raised some from the dead. But what happened to them all? They died again. What about Jesus? Jesus says, I am he who was dead and am alive, yea, and I live forevermore. But then he goes on to tell John there in Revelation 1, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Keys represent authority. He died never to die. He, he rose from the dead never to die again. That's something new. He's the first one. And Paul points out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if he's the first, it's implied there's going to be some that come after. So Jesus says in John chapter 5, Marvel not at this, for the day is coming in which all that are in the graves will hear the voice of the Son of Man and come forth. He gives us hope. So he has authority. In all things, he has the preeminence. You talk about you know, somebody who's an eminent scholar. right? They're well respected in their field. They're, they're an expert. When they speak, they speak with authority. And people listen to what they have to say. But Jesus has the preeminence. That is the first eminence Whoever has, has authority, whoever has something to say, Jesus has more. We ought to listen to him first and above them. In how many things? All things. For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell. Chapter 2, he's going to say, In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, Paul talks about the church is the fullness of him that fills all in all. He completely fills it up. You want to be fulfilled? You want to be complete? Jesus has those answers. In him all fullness dwells. If you're outside of Christ, you're lacking something. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, to reconcile by him all things to himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. To bring unity and peace. And notice the next verse. And you, that's me, and that's you too who sometimes were alienated. You ever feel like you just don't fit, like you just don't belong? Paul said that's because it's true. <laughs> you didn't fit. You didn't belong. You were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Now think about that for a minute. You are the enemy of God. How's that going to turn out? 
Now, that's essentially what was being done at the Tower of Babel. That word there for tower can, can be translated as a defensive fortification, a battlement. They were building a fortification to do war with heaven. God preempted their little war <laughs> by confusing their languages. You want to make yourself the enemy of heaven, you're going to lose. And we did it ourselves by our own wicked works. Yet, now has he reconciled. What an amazing thing. When we made ourselves the enemy of heaven, Jesus came to bring terms of peace. And here's why, verse 21, so that he might present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So that we can come and stand before him pure. Nobody able to say anything. That takes us all the way back up to verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who's made us meet to be partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is good news, number one, because of who He is. He's our mediator, He's our maker, and He's our master. But it's good news, number two, because of what He does for us. He prepares us for heaven. He prepares us for life here. And he prepares us to be holy. That's something we can't get done any other way. But wait, there's more. You know that, that vacuum cleaner salesman guy? He started to lose me when he said, guess how much this thing costs? And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to pick a high number here. Is it $1,000? He said, well, I'll tell you what it doesn't cost. It doesn't cost $10,000. i am like, oh. Well, that's good. No, it's about seven. I couldn't even afford to pay attention, much less buy that thing. Everybody wants something from you. What's the catch, right? What does it cost? That's verse 14. The blood of Jesus Christ. And so we sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. That's good news, because we couldn't afford that bill anyway. When we understand who he is, and we understand what he does, how can we but fall prostrate at his feet and give thanks? How can we but share that news with others? What about you this morning? Are you ready to stand before him in holiness? Are you ready for your home in heaven? Maybe you're struggling with your life here. That's okay, we all do. But thanks be to God, we don't have to struggle alone. 
Maybe you realize you're outside of Christ and you want to get into Him where we find that redemption and that forgiveness and that fullness. Through faith, repentance, and New Testament water baptism, it can be yours. Maybe as a Christian, you want to bring your struggles to our mediator. Maybe it's a struggle with sin, with self. Maybe it's something else that's on your mind and, and you just need to bring it to the family. That's what we're here for. Whatever it is, let it be known. And then let's share the good news with others. If you have a need this morning, won't you please let it be known by coming to the front while together we stand and while we sing.